You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. There's a time and a place for black and white. Like when you're learning to play piano. Or when you want a big two-toned cookie. Or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white. So go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing. From banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 18 Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. Blog Talk Radio. I'm not gonna freestyle. Oh, maybe we should. Maybe we should do. I'll find an instrumental. Yeah. Hey, we'll just gonna do it right now. Go ahead, just freestyle. <laughs> What's up, man? What's going on? I did. What is the What is the news now with the car? What is the update you have on Mysons ride? We need a, We need a hashtag for this this saga. <laughs> I know, right? The the story of Mysons car troubles. <laughs> no, I'm finally mobile again. I have gotten my car completely fixed. Took a lot longer than I would have liked, but it all came out of pocket. <laughs> but I am mobile again. I was I was so excited for all of one day that I woke up sick. <laughs> I was like, "Give me a break!" <laughs> so now I'm walking around with the sniffles. Uh oh, coming. Well, we're getting to the end of summer, man. This is you know the weather starts changing. I don't know if the weather has started changing in your parts. It's still been pretty hot out here in the east. Man, it's been uh, like DC, 90 but once the weather day. changes, you know, you know it comes. Yeah, it's been like ninety something every day here. Some complete bull. <laughs> it was like for a week, it was perfect weather. It was like seventy five, eighty degrees, and out of nowhere, it was like, oh, nope, ninety five every day from here on out. Our official day is Thursday. Where our, our weather flips on Thursday, so I gotta. Now I'm glad you got sick. No offense, but uh, it's gonna remind me. To go ahead and load the hell up on Wednesday. I'm gonna just, I'm eating nothing but oranges. I'm gonna be main hardlining airborne tablets or whatever those things are called. I gotta get my immune system ready. Man, I've been killing oranges all day and sleeping. That's all I've done. <laughs> eating oranges and sleeping like a little baby for real. <laughs> but hey, well, get right, man. Get right. Feel feel good enough to get the show going. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's an interesting show, right? We were recording this on Monday night. Uh, the game was last Thursday, so it feels like it yeah. feels like an age ago. And then you have the NFL weekend that we had, you know. 
It seems like it was a long time ago. We definitely had a um, a bit of a bye week ourselves. <laughs> you know, we, we're kind of on the same schedule as the players. Um, the players have had the past couple of days off, and so have we. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's interesting because having that time off got, got a little opportunity to kind of go back and reflect on some stuff from the game as opposed to, you know, having that short turnaround from the game to hopping on the pod. Like, this time it was like, chill out. Rewatch some of the game, you know, go over a couple of things. Like, huh, I noticed more things this time around than I did the first time. So it was good. I, I, I think I used the time wisely. What did you do over the weekend with that spare time you had? Well, the good thing was Sunday, for the first time, I watched a lot of other teams football. I haven't gotten to watch many other teams play, and I spent uh, Sunday, yeah. especially the early games. The early games I was watching, it was great, man. It was a great NFL game. Did you watch so, that Jaguars yeah. and Ravens game? It was phenomenal. <laughs> I was like, what I, the I, hell is this? Yeah, but I said that last year, I really thought the Jaguars had a shot at turning the corner last year, and clearly they didn't. But, you know, maybe this is the year. They, it's not so much the offense. That game felt a lot like our 46-9 game, where they were just taking advantage on offense of Baltimore just being too soft. But on defense, that's where I think the Jaguars, they look legit. Yeah, they are. They are in every level at that. It's not even. They don't have a weak level on that defense. They're good on all three. It's pretty. It's it's pretty interesting defense. That is a that's a team to look out for for the Rams down the line. <laughs> Which is, but, uh, I mean, it's interesting because they get, they still got Blake Bortles as their quarterback. So it's one of those things where you you've got like you said, they don't have any holes on defense. They have they have some giant holes on offense, and they have one real real yeah. real big hole. And so it, it's one of those things where I wonder, at some point, that's really going to catch up to them. And especially if, we, if we're talking about them being a legitimate team and going into November, December, you would think that's maybe when they get reminded that uh, Blake Bortles is Blake Bortles. But also, in the meantime, until that game comes up, the Rams are going to have to fix their defense so that Blake Bortles can be Blake Bortles. <laughs> you don't want to see this guy from this past weekend. <laughs> you know, the, the Rams have had some struggles on defense. It's been ugly, very ugly. Very, very, very ugly. And I think that's actually well, a good lead way to, yep. <laughs> to talk about this game. <laughs> it was um, – what's the words I'm looking for? I, I'm still kind of at a loss for words for how everything played out. It was it was a true nail-biter. Like, it was suspenseful. Yeah. It, was, it had you on the edge of your seat. Like, I feel like, uh, you know, we saw some, some goods from this, and then we saw some bad from the, the score. I'm just talking about the score strictly. I would say the good that we saw from the score is this Rams team, any time, at any point during the past five years, six years, if that happened any other time where they have this lead going into late into the game and they give it up, they probably lose. <laughs> they probably lose. So you saw that as an improvement, you know, that they were able to hold on. They were, they, you know, they bit, but they didn't break, um, which is an improvement uh, on years past. But then the bad side is, that they were even in that situation. <laughs> um, man, they made Brian Hora look like the all-world quarterback, didn't they? <laughs> he, Brian Hora it was, it was up. It was not troubling about Brian Hora, but like what you were talking about um, with the idea that they won was how close they were to not winning, right? Yeah, I yeah. mean, you're talking about a team with four points on the board that – once they once that onside kick and remember that with the two point conversion and the onside kick, if they had made the extra point earlier in the game, 
That's probably a tie ball game, right? Yeah. So those things where even though we scored 41 points, that, that game was so close to getting away from us. And the narr- and I, I tweeted something about this, I think, on Friday, was how tenuous the narrative uh, was from being the complete opposite. You wake up on Friday and it's like, okay, we're two and one. Offense is clicking. I feel good about things. We were this close to having the complete other side, like, oh, my God, man. We lost a game where we scored 40. Because, you know, at the, at the point when they get the onside kick, because Brian Hoare and that offense had clicked so hard that second half, I was I was worried they were going to get down the field and kick a field goal and win the game, and we were going to lose a game in which we scored 41 points. And the narrative then wouldn't have been anything nice. It would have been all – so sar and all the things that we've seen, obviously tweeted about the Rams and recent. It was that close. You know, with me, when they got the outside kick, my first thought was, how the hell does that even happen? Because everyone, mm. it's not a surprise outside kick. Everyone in the world yeah. watching the game knew that they were going to go onside. How, how, and then you look at, when you go back and you look at the, the onside kick, it's like they're not even in a, a in a onside recover formation, you know. They're all they're all spread out. No one's boxed up close to you know the front line and back line. They're not really as close as you normally would see. And I'm just like, what the hell is this? And it's shocking because one thing that we all know is Bones. He usually has his guys ready to go for all situations, and that was just. That was a shocker. I didn't see that coming at all. If there's one unit with this Rams team that you've been able to count on, it's the special teams unit. Uh, and that was that was, that was was a shocker to me. I did not see them recovering their own side kick at all. It was, you know, to be able to foreshadow that, like, you really can tell the future. Um, but they did. And, of course, like you said, when they got it, the first thought is, oh, damn. <laughs> you, you know, there's, there's nerves right there. But, you know, a penalty here, a sack there – Save the day, but they like you said, it was that close to actually being a loss as opposed to a win. And a really disheartening loss. What's interesting about the special teams thing being the unit that we buy into, the special teams had a really bad night. Yeah, another Tavon Austin fumble. You had that Pharaoh Cooper fumble uh, on that late kick return. You had almost a, almost a second Tavon Austin fumble. You had a penalty uh, earlier in the game that uh, granted new downs. It, it was it was a pretty sloppy game for special teams, and obviously the team as a whole. It's one of those things where moving forward, it, just like we talked about, we talked about the idea of, you know, when Robert Woods had a really bad week two, that he's going to be fine. He's been in the NFL long enough that you know his days are going to come, and clearly he and Sam and Watkins both had a day. The special teams isn't going to be that bad and that, you know, counterproductive. Uh, week to week, we know we know that's going to get fixed. The defense, though, I'm starting to get worried, man. Are you are you are you concerned about the defense? What's, what's the right way to define how you feel about the Rams defense right now? I'm petrified of this Rams defense, mm-hmm. and it's not the good way. <laughs> you know, there's a scared of a defense because you're scared that they're going to actually kick your ass, and there's there's they're scared of the defense because you don't know what they're going to allow, and that's kind of where this defense is. I mean, it's. It's something, but as far as the running game goes, that is something I noticed in week one with the Colts. And I said it there, like, if they were able to run the ball more, it probably was a different game. You know, it's probably a much closer game. Not saying they would have put off the win, but it would have been a much closer game if the Colts were able to run the ball more. But because of the separation of the score, they couldn't. But, they, but if you look at the average yards per carry, you kind of look at some of the runs, it wasn't that they were breaking off chunk runs, but they were consistently moving the ball. Then you go to next week, 
can you see it again? And they're consistently moving the ball. And then last night, <laughs> it was it was all phases. It was, they were moving the ball on the ground. They were moving the ball in the air. It was absolutely nothing that they could nothing that they did. They could get off the field. It was just they were stuck in this rut, or stuck in this rut almost. And it was it was uh, alarming to say the least to see how how bad it was. And I mean, for 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 Brian Hoyer to throw the ball as much as he did, I don't feel like he put was, that much pressure on him. <laughs> Sure, not consistent pressure. And I was going to say, think about who we're talking about, man. We're talking about the 49ers and Brian Hoyer. We ain't talking talk about, like, a great offense where you can say, okay, I can right. understand how we got run over by this offense. We're talking about the 49ers. Exactly. It is, and that's probably, that's probably the scariest part, right? Like, really? <laughs> what are we going to do when we come across some real firepower, you know? Like, like Blake Bortles. Oh, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but you know what? I would I would say that the Jaguars offense has more weapons, you know, quality weapons than the 49ers. I would say that. I wouldn't disagree. And I, I would I would say this. Anytime you play that way against the 49ers, you're not doing yourselves any favor for any matchups moving forward. Absolutely. And that that just is what it is. No, absolutely not. They have uh they've dug a hole. I think that they've uh they've kind of exposed themselves. Um, and I, I made a joke, you know, in our uh, in, the, in the, our, our staff chat. I said the Rams are looking like the new Saints. <laughs> you know, a lot of offense, not nearly enough defense. <laughs> and uh, it's it, it's going to be interesting to see how Wade makes some adjustments. The good news, again, though, is that he has these extra days to prepare for uh, the Cowboys. So having these extra days, seeing how he makes adjustments to – Extra film, extra time to watch film. You know, not not on that regular schedule. I'm interested to see how it goes. So far, uh, teams have been stuffing the Cowboys. You know, uh, getting them out, off the field. You know, so let's see if the Rams can continue that trend. But I have to admit, I, I don't have a lot of faith in them being able to do so, just from what I saw Thursday night and the, the two games before. The good thing, I guess, if you can point to something to provide some optimism is going to be the offense. Almost everybody ate. Jared Goff had a day. Todd Gurley had a day. Robert Woods, uh, Sammy Watkins. I guess there's, if there's one that I would have liked to see, but clearly by, because of injury, he just wasn't 100% ready to go was Gerald Everett. He just couldn't, uh, you know, he wasn't right. And it is what it is. I know, I know. I would have loved to see him out there because that's the kind of game where I think he could have. I mean, you saw the pass to Tyler Higby that he dropped for a touchdown. Yeah, if that's yeah. Gerald Everett, he probably makes that play. That's all I'm saying. Uh, I was like, moving forward, there's going to be some matchups for them to exploit. What, what did you like most about the offense, Mike? You know what? <laughs> it is um, it's, it's, it's shocking to me to say it because it's been so long since I can say it. But the offensive line <laughs> was so <That's> ridiculous. <laughs> it, it was so ridiculous. Like, just so far through the first three weeks, they've been great. I think they've only allowed two sacks and, like, three pressures. That's it. <laughs> That's it for through three games. Like, two sacks and three pressures. Like, what? Like, that's it. like, Jerry Goff is back there just dissecting defense because he has all day. And in this game here, they were opening holes left and right. For Gurley, and it's been it's been so long since you could say that the O line has played this well. I honestly can't even remember the last time I saw a game where they played this well as a collective unit. It's 
it it, it literally made me smile watching them play. <laughs> I was yeah, I there was, was a couple impressed. times. I was definitely impressed, and you know, it ultimately there, led to. Go ahead. No, no, no. Finish it up. No, I was gonna say it ultimately. Uh, I think that that's the line play is what ultimately led to Jared Goff and Ty Gurley both on the same day having the best games so far in their careers. Not coincidence. I think that the the great thing about the offensive line play was that it was in the run and the pass. Right? We we had seen a couple right. games where they played pretty well in pass protection. They were working in both facets, and uh, yeah, and especially even when John Sullivan went down, he gets injured in the third quarter. They bring in Austin Blythe, and there wasn't a big drop off. You didn't see a ton of interior pressure. Really, the the main pressure, and they pointed Chris Collinsworth pointed it out was because of Jared Goff's pocket movement. It wasn't because of the offensive line. It's because, you know, Rob Havenstein and Andrew Whitworth were keeping the pass rushers having to work so deep that if Jared Goff stepped into the pocket, he had a clean pocket to work in. It was really a great game from the offensive line. Um, And I I was going to say the thing that – I was just going to say the part, I guess, that there's one aspect that I really liked about the offense was Gurley's performance as a rusher. We talked about in week two that I was kind of underwhelmed by the – totality of his performance and he continues to make great impacts in the passing game which is great but I wanted to see more from him in the ground game and we got it we that's the kind of game that we need from Todd Gurley and I I think I tweeted in the second quarter where he picked up four or five yards on the first down and I said that's all that's all he's got to do you got to you got to get a couple yards on first so that you can open up the playbook on second and know that even if you don't get anything successful you still got a third and short enough where you can feel comfortable picking up the first down. And we did. They did it multiple times, four, five, six times after that. You know, the Rams were in position to pick up a third down where there was almost no way to throw short of the sticks because of the quality of the first down running. So I think the offensive line clearly had something to play with that, but I was really impressed by Todd Gurley's running performance. You know what? I went back and I counted Todd Gurley's uh, runs. I did two different counts. I counted how many times did he have a run of 10 yards or more, and I counted how many times did he have a run of five yards or more. And he had four runs that were 10 yards or more, um, none more impressive than the the last big one he had. Although I'm yep. going to touch on this, uh, that fumble at the end, it was the ground, but Gurley through three games has four fumbles. <laughs> He's not off to a good start with protecting the ball. He's had four fumbles through right. three games. But uh, that last run, I mean – the only thing I could think of to compare it to when I saw it, and it was immediately the first thing that came to my mind, was sophomore year Georgia Gurley. You know, early on senior year Georgia Gurley, when before he got hurt in the suspension and stuff, <clears throat> that explosiveness that I saw, I have not seen that level of explosiveness from Ty Gurley since college, since before the knee injury. I would say that now, two, four years removed from it, he's 100% back to having that explosiveness. Uh, the way he burst through that hole and then not just burst through that hole, but then cut it back going across field. He almost the cut was the big one. Yeah, the cut was the big one. Yeah, that was pretty. And that's the first time I've actually seen him do that in the NFL on this level. I have not seen that type of smooth cut without losing any speed, running top end speed without losing any of it making that cut, changing directions, and going across the field. That's the first time I've seen Gurley do that since he was at Georgia. So I was thoroughly impressed with that run. But uh, he had four runs where it went over uh, 10 yards. And then he also had seven runs of five yards, of at least five yards. And I was just like, (laughs) 
where where has this girly been? They grind yeah, that's, it out. That's the money pop right a, there. Pop a couple, you know, pop a couple, but then also consistently picking up four or five yards. It's, that's something that we have not seen because up until this point, his big games have come when, you know, he has 20, you know, he has 20 carries for, you know, 80 yards or 20 carries for 70 yards or something like that. And then on that 21st carry, he'll pop a 50-yarder, <laughs> you know, so to blow the stat sheet up. But this is the first time where you saw him consistently picking up some tough yards, picking up quality yards, and like you said, getting in a good position on the, the down and distance. So I was I was thoroughly impressed with Gurley's running, but uh, I think, like you said earlier, it was by no coincidence that Gurley and Golf had their best games on the same night. Maybe a bit more of a surprise given how much he struggled last year is how good Jared Goff has looked through three games. And it's, it's just undeniable. Yeah, it, 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 put it like this. It's, it's probably impossible to point to one thing, whether it's the offensive line, the, all the new passing targets, obviously a switch in coaching scheme. It's probably impossible to point to one thing and say this is what's causing Jared Goff to play much better. Maybe it's just maturation in his second year. But there's no doubt that all of it as a whole – has made him a much, much, much better quarterback to this point than he was at any point last year. You know what? If this is who Jared Goff is going to be in the NFL, um, it's crazy to say this. And I don't like saying stuff like this because I feel like I'm getting ahead of myself But because I don't, uh, and I'm not intending it to be that way, but I'm strictly going off of what we've seen so far this year, the consistency of it. You know, if this is what he's going to be in the NFL, Jared Goff in two, three years will be considered one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, which is shocking to say, <laughs> you know. But, again, that's if he can maintain this level. But because of how consistent he's played through the first three weeks, um, it's, it's, uh, it's something that you have to talk about. Um, you, can't, you can't ignore it. You can't just go strictly by, you know, whatever happened last year. I, for one – um, I thought Jared Goff would be better this year. But in no way, shape, or form did I think Jared Goff would play as well as he's playing. It's, and, again, it goes back to that word, consistency. I thought we were going to see some of the stuff we're seeing now, but in no way whatsoever did I think it, we'd see it on the first series, second series, third series, fourth series. I didn't think we'd see it a whole game. I just thought we'd see flashes of it. And then towards the end of the year, you know, that's when he kind of start to really take off going into next year. But uh, this is a this is a pleasant surprise. <laughs> it's uh it's it's got me kind of wondering like you know if he can if he can maintain this how good can this offense be just in general? Um, they're with all the weapons uh, is obviously already opening up ho- holes for Gurley. The box was as soft as I have seen it. Um, the box was as soft as I've seen it gotten to the league. Honestly, like I, I don't remember seeing uh, this frequently six defenders down in the box because there's so many, so many people in coverage because of the pass offense. Um, it's, it's, it's really working out well, uh, the balance of the offense, which is another shocker because that's something we didn't That's something that Sean McVay didn't show a lot of in Washington, but there's been a lot of balance. So I'm, I'm interested to see how long uh, golf can keep this up because he really hasn't made any glaring mistakes so far uh, other nope. than that, that stare down. But hell, I've seen everybody stare down at someone at least once, you know. So it's uh, it's, it's it hasn't been a terrible big time mistake where you're just like, well, how the hell did he do that? <laughs> you know, where you saw those things last year, you have not seen them this year. That that 
that's been impressive. One more, one more thing, and I'll get the floor to you, but I noticed this in, uh, in the preseason, and I was like, I wonder if this is just for this game. And then I noticed it in, against the Colts, and I was like, huh, he's getting good at it. <laughs> and then I noticed it again against the Redskins, and then I saw him, like, really, really using it uh, against the 49ers. But Jared Goff has really changed his cadence. Um, he's, he's really gotten big on, like, the hard count. Um, I feel yeah. like he's been watching some Aaron Rodgers tape or something, but I like that he's adding little things to his game. Uh, it is, it's something that caught my eye because he was really hitting it in the preseason. I was just like, huh, okay, that's different. I didn't see that coming. <laughs> you know, and he's continuing it on into the regular season. He's doing it every game where he's really, really make, hitting these hard counts, and it keeps the defensive line off balance, but it also, you know, you can get them to jump. So, you know, I've, I've noticed a little things that he's doing. So it's it's an interesting season so far for Gurley. Or for golf. Yeah, you talked about the that the idea of him, you know, becoming one of the better quarterbacks in the league and kind of the the development. I think what what I was prepared for was that he was going to come out and really not necessarily play as badly as he did last year, but look rough and look, uh, you know, like a twenty two year old quarterback who's only started, you know, seven, eight, nine, now ten games. And that the improvement we would see would be September to October, October to November, November to December. And that by the end of the season, we'd say, okay, I really think that going into next year, he could be a good quarterback. What's scary is that he started there, right? And so the, at this point, you kind of have to start readjusting the bar. And we, we got a couple games, obviously, you know, before we get to the bye to really validate what we've seen the first three games. But if this is where, you know, we have to set the line to start his performances, I think the question becomes, can he continue to get better, right? And I know that, I, I know that almost sounds greedy, given how much better he is than last year, but that's only rational to expect that a 22-year-old with as little experience as he has will just continue to get better. Um, and we'll have to see. The, the, I think the, the part of the problem is there's not much room for him to grow getting better in terms of making decisions in this offense. His decision-making, and that's why he's only thrown the one pick, his decision-making has been incredible. He's making great reads. He's figuring he's – got, he's got better and better timing of when to escape the pocket. And he's not the – you know, the, he's not Michael Vick or anything, but he's not – he doesn't have to just stand there. And he can get outside the pocket. Wow. He did it again the same way he made the play with Gerald Everett two weeks ago. He made it again this last week. I don't forget whether it was Sammy Watkins. It might have been Robert Woods. But he's able to make those plays. The scary thing is – those are kind of, you know uh, – what would you say, beginner to intermediate uh, things for yeah, on the yeah, NFL yeah. level to do. And he's doing those perfectly. What, what really makes me think that at some point soon we're going to have to start elevating the bar is the play to Sammy Watkins down the sideline. That throw, and obviously the yep. catch too, but that, t- that takes skill from the wide receiver. As a quarterback, that's one of the hardest throws to make and put it where only your wide receiver can get it, and he did. I mean, it was – it, it it wasn't just that it was perfect. It was the level of difficulty and the perfection of the execution makes me think, okay, if he can do that, man, then you've got to start raising expectations at some point because he's capable of it. You know, the most interesting thing, and I, I, I swear to you, I hit rewind like 10, 15 times when I was watching the game and saw that play. The most interesting thing about that play is the fact that the reason, you know, they kept talking about, oh, Sammy Watkins just made this Willie Mays type of catch, which is true, he did. 
But the reason he made that catch the way he did, the reason he had to track it up from one shoulder over to the other, looking completely behind him, is because the ball was so perfectly placed. You know, he looked over his shoulder on the inside because he's running to the outside, so that's where he's supposed to look over. But with golf seeing the safety crashing in over the from the inside, he had to throw it he to put the it outside the shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he had to throw it to the outside shoulder, especially with the quarter underneath him. There was only one spot that ball could go, and it wasn't like it was a you know one spot it could go fifteen yard pass. This is a forty seven yard pass, one spot it could go, and it was absolutely pinpoint perfect. That was the best throw we have seen from Jared Goff through his ten games as a starter in the NFL. It was flawless. I, I literally was just in awe. I kept rewinding it like. No, the hell he didn't. <laughs> I kept on rewinding like in complete shock. I was just like, "Wow, that uh, that's that's a coming out throw right there." Like that's that's a and, hey, guys, I'm here. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the thing is a lot of times people take results and conflate that to either level of difficulty or you know to to assess competency. So that you know if Jerry Goff throws a five yard crosser and it's complete, and then Sammy Watkins gains twenty yards after that. It doesn't mean Jared Goff did anything spectacular, especially if it's his first read. That's not the kind of thing that should impress us. It's the kind of, maybe it's the kind of thing he needs to do, but if that's, if that's a low level of difficulty, that's not the kind of thing that should impress us. The flip side is a throw like that on a play like that where it's almost impossible to get it just right, and he did. And so that's the kind of thing where if, if we start seeing that, and here's the other thing to think about is, the Rams haven't called for a lot of that kind of aggressive deep field work. I know we talked about, and you and I kind of disagreed. I think it was week one. It was either week one or week two. We talked about the quantity of the aggression. Right, um, right. That's the kind of thing where you got to start dialing it up more and more because if he can do that, and we know Sammy Watkins, it's Sammy Watkins. As long as he's healthy, we know he can do it. He's done it. He's been in the NFL for years. He's done it. We know Robert Woods can do the thing. And you, you got to credit Robert Woods. He's been an incredibly uh, physical player, not necessarily doling it out, but what he's had to endure, you know, working over the middle and taking those shots, man, uh, he, he's been able to get it done. And, and so the more you see that, the more that I think there's going to be some pressure in between the players and the staff to work in more of that only because if you're that successful at it, and Jerry Goff clearly has been, you got to take advantage of it more often. You know, I'm about to say something that's going to piss off every, almost every single person listening, and, but it has to be said. <laughs> I like the preface. I like the preface of that. I'm about to piss everybody yeah. off. I'm about to piss everybody off. Here's an even bigger thing that stood out to me outside of the line and the, the balance between pass and run that caused the, such a good game, but there, was, there wasn't a Cooper Cup factor in this game. They actually put Robert Woods in spot Cooper Cup, which taking Cup out of the game, in my opinion, from what I could tell, it actually forced golf to spread the ball around, and I think that ultimately resulted in him having the best game of his young career. Because of the fact that he wasn't so locked on to one guy, he was able to go through reads, which he was zipping through reads in his game. I think that's something that hasn't been talked about enough. The way he was going through his reads, it was – there was no hesitation. He wasn't wasting time or anything like that. He's going through. If he sees your cover, he's on to the next, on to the next. And then he's starting back to the front until he figure out who, where I need to go with this ball and scramble out by time. Like, 
without Cooper Cup being there, you know, having that guy where he has that uh, connection with his best friend on the team, all that stuff. He was a different. He was a different distributor. <laughs> you know, it wasn't. He did. There was not a single forced pass. Everything was just right. And I think it's because of the fact that Cooper Cup wasn't as big of a factor in this game as he has been in others. And I you think that's one of those things when you think Cup. about. <laughs> well, and, and that's the thing is, it, it once you once you show that kind of versatility, you know, through the first couple games, through the preseason, first two games, I don't think anybody would have scoffed at the idea that. You, you, you could have said something like Cooper Cup is the most valuable component of the passing game because early to, through the PC season, the first two games, oh, clearly that was that was his go-to guy, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. And to to have been as successful as they were without Cooper Cup being the go-to guy should worry our future opposing defenses because the, clearly he's just not. It's not like Stephen Jackson, you know, ten years ago. It's not as if everything needs to go through Cooper Cup. It can. And maybe there are times when it needs to, but it doesn't have to. And I think that's right. the thing that, that it, you know, as I'm trying to recalibrate expectations and, those, and you know, moving forward through the season thinking about this offense, I think that's one of those things where as golf is making those incredibly difficult throws and it's go, we're, we're using the, almost the entirety of the offensive depth chart minus one, and maybe we should bring him up. Uh, I think that, that that versatility is maybe what's being the most impressive. The, I was about to ask if we left any stones unturned, but I guess we got to make it a weekly discussion point. Tavon Austin, man, it, it, where? What's the right way to put this? Yeah, I don't even know how to define this. So here's what I will ask you: Imagine there's a Tavonometer, a Tavonometer in front of you, Mason. One, I don't even know what the Tavonometer. The Tavonometer. I don't know what it even measures. <laughs> One to ten. Where is the Tavonometer? Um, with Tavon being a factor uh, at its highest quality, being a ten, I would say that he is at a two or three. <laughs> and the only reason I give it that much is because um, when he does come in, they do they don't necessarily give him the ball, but they use him as that decoy, which oddly enough, has continued to work. I don't know why, but when they fake those end around to him, um, especially when they fake it on play action, they'll fake to him, then fake to Gurley, it does, it pulls the defense in and it opens up things. It has done it in every single game so far. So it continues to work. So because because there's a, a, a play that continues to work for him, and he did score a touchdown, so I'll give him his credit on that, but uh, because there's a play that continues to work for him, I'll give him a three. <laughs> Here's what here's what I don't get. And I mean, clearly the deception of the play design as he comes across has an effect on defenses and how they're Absolutely. dealing with the pre-snap motion. Here's what I don't get. Why would it would it be any different if it was Farrell Cooper? Yes, it would. Um, Farrell Cooper can't so? hit that corner. Yeah, he can't get the the design of this play for when he does get the ball is to let the play side defensive end run free. And for the, the, the whoever it is, whether it's a tight end or tackle that's right there, to climb up to the second level and get the linebacker. That's the design of the play. By letting that guy come free, though, you're running directly at him. You have to be fast enough and quick enough to get past him. I think the only person on the team fast enough, uh, straight line speed and quick enough laterally to beat him is Tavon Austin. Um, that's the only mm-hmm. person that can make that play work. Uh, because you literally, if you if you watch the plays when he get the ball, 
the defensive end is literally running free directly at him. And the defensive ends usually come crashing down so quickly that it's hard for them to change direction to make the tackle. I think I've seen the mm-hmm. defensive end over the years make that tackle like two or three times. It's very hard for them to make that tackle on somebody as quick as him. Uh, to use Farrell Cooper, I don't think he's quick enough or fast enough to get to that edge before the defensive end sees what's going on and makes the tackle for a five-yard loss. Uh, the only person that can do it is Tavon Austin. Interesting. I just I, I, I do wonder how much of it is just designed and how much of it, not even necessarily Cooper, but just a hypothetical Cooper Cup, Josh Reynolds, how, how much you could replace Tavon with somebody else and how much similar success you'd have just from the deception factor, not necessarily assigned to Tavon's speed. But I'll, ta- I'll, I'll take your assessment and we'll run with it from there, man. What, is there anything else we didn't cover from 49ers that you wanted to talk about before we start looking at the schedule? Yeah, there's nothing else that we didn't cover there. My only, there's only one question that I have, and that's should Wade Phillips consider using more of the attacking 4-3 that they're used to? Because this cover 4 and main coverage that they're running right now out of the 3-4 is not mm-hmm. working. <laughs> uh, do you think that's something that he should actually consider? And Wade Phillips now, I will say this, he is a coach that is known for – not trying to force his way onto players, but adjusting his way to fit what the players are best at. So it wouldn't be completely sure. out of the realm of possibility. So is this something that you he should consider, or do you think it's going to click? Uh, I, well, I think part of it would be this. I've, I've said it multiple times since, what, April, that this isn't a win-now team, right? And so – Right. If if the if the intent of switching around the defense is to make us more competitive this year, I don't know how valuable that is. Versus, if there's so, if there's something schematically that Wade Phillips wants to be able to do, and he needs to get certain guys reps in order to figure out if they can do it. Guys like Robert Quinn, who's only playing about half the snaps right now, or younger players. Uh, you know, you talk about defensive line when you got uh, Tyron Tandell Smart, Tyron Walker. You got John Johnson just barely getting some work. Um, you know, maybe you're looking at cornerbacks. You're looking at Trumaine Johnson, and uh, yeah, now like Troy Hill coming off a of suspension. If he's trying to figure out what guys can and can't do, then maybe I can understand him sticking with it, even though it's not successful because he wants to get a sample size to feel, okay, if I ask this guy to do this, can he do it and can he get coached up to do it better versus saying, okay, it's not working. We got to switch now because we got to be successful now. Like I get it. If it's the Rams two years from now and we're in October and something's not working, you got to switch it because now you're starting to talk about guys' jobs on the line. If we haven't been successful by then, I'm talking about coaching staff jobs on the line. But at this point, you know, I'm, I'm still comfortable taking the long view of things. And when you talk about some of the younger players' trajectory and thinking about, okay, is Corey Littleton going to be on this team for the next three years? And if so, if he's going to be part of the linebacking core, maybe Wade Phillips needs to give him the opportunity to do some stuff before, you know, we get away from this. But in asking that, is there a reason that you're asking that? Is there something that, you know, you you feel comfortable switching to to be more successful at this point without – putting guys off the trajectory for the careers? Well, no, it's just, you know, we know that this defense was built to be an attacking 4-3, and that's what they've ran sure. for years. Um, even before Greg Williams got there, 
They were in an attacking 4-3. That's what this defense is built on uh, doing. And with so many of the same components that they've had over the years still being here, that's what they're used to running. It just looks like there's extreme struggles running this uh, this 3-4 with the cover four and front. man coverage, you know, it's 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 a, it's a struggle. So you know, it's a thought that I had of you know, do is this something that maybe Wade should, Phillips should consider? Uh, it would, and again, he is known for making what he does fit the players as opposed as opposed to forcing the players fit what he does. Uh, so it wouldn't be a complete shock if he did. But uh, yeah. so far, the results just haven't been good. You know. Prediction of number two defense by ass. <laughs> has, has yeah, not quite. <laughs> They'll be lucky to be twenty-two the way they're going right now. You know, so yeah. But, but it, it's definitely something to keep an eye on moving forward. But definitely, and I guess the one thing you point, Yeah, the one ahead, thing you might ahead. point to as a. I was just going to say the one thing you might point to as a reason to consider it is what we talked about with Jerry Goff. Is that you know sometimes you got things that just aren't working and a complete change of. Uh, you know, scheme and w- whether you want to start talking about personnel changes, although injuries might have a factor in that anyway, maybe that maybe that's something that can kick the defense in the ass and get things uh, changed around. The injury front, uh, I was just going to mention, we got to keep an eye on the injury report as it comes out on Wednesday and how things develop. We went into this week, there were only three names on it, Gerald Everett, Malcolm Brown, Kayvon Webster. Brown and Webster were out, which meant Justin Davis came in as the backup running back and everybody slid up a spot on the cornerback depth chart. Nikel Roby Coleman got a bunch more work. Troy Hill came in as a reserve coming off a two-game suspension uh, to fill in. We live in a world of boos. I said it on Twitter before the game because they were booing the – when the Cowboys took a knee before the anthem, which whatever, I don't even want to get into it. But just the idea that at some, maybe two to three years from now, we're just going to live in a world of constant booing in the background. Wherever we go, there will, you'll just be able to hear somebody booing something. And maybe for you, it's Troy Hill. Anytime you hear that name, anytime you're reminded of it, my oh. will be booing off in the distance. <laughs> what will be interesting is this week, um, get, we'll have to see with Gerald Everett. you got a bunch of guys. I'm probably not going to remember them all. LaMarcus Joyner went down. John Sullivan. Uh, yeah. Sammy Watkins. Um, and obviously the guys Tavon that uh, didn't make Malcolm Brown. <laughs> Tavon Austin, Malcolm Brown, and uh, Kayvon Webster. Since they weren't able to play, we'll have to see how much progress they've made. That injury report is going to be a really big one. Is there one injury that you think uh, has the – maybe the biggest impact or that you're wor- the one guy that you really want on Thursday, which injury looms largest to you? Oh man, that's uh, gotta be Sammy Watkins, right? Um, mm-hmm. It has to be just considering the game that he had. I mean, it was more than the, the amazing catch and concentration. It was the way he ran after catching some of those shorter passes, you know, he turned into a legitimate running back and, he was able to pick up like the touchdown where he actually got the concussion. It was because of the way he ran. He went, he ran furious and angry. And he broke tackles and he fought to get into the end zone and stretched it out. Like he he played very well. Uh, just overall and the things he was able to do once he had the ball in his hands. You know, you you want to see that player back on the field sooner than later. Yeah, I know the two big ones probably for fans are either going to be. Uh, Watkins or LaMarcus Joyner. Obviously, Joyner had a hamstring issue while Watkins dealt with the concussion protocol. The one that I might throw out there, and I know Austin Blythe played good in in reserve, coming in for him is John (laughs) Sullivan, if only because of a center's responsibilities on the line. 
<laughs> yeah, and well, and it's not just that he played well. He's if played we talk really about the well. whole offensive line, the what? I would say he's been playing really well. Like, who saw that couple? He did. Yeah, I mean, his level of play has been great. I think it's just one of those things where because the line as a unit was playing so well and, you know, knowing the responsibilities of the center to call out protections and some pre-snap stuff for everybody, not just the offensive line, but for golf too, and knowing that maybe the main reason that Sullivan is on this team is because of his experience with Sean McVay, I just worry that there are some maybe imperceptible things that we might not even pick up on fans that Austin Blythe might not be as good at in that aspect of the game that John Sullivan, because of his experience and his relationship with Sean McVay, that he does seamlessly. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I would so, agree with that. Moving ahead. ahead 100%. Yeah. Moving ahead, man. As I got uh, the game on mute in front of me, Monday Night Football, Dallas Cowboys, Arizona locked up at seven. Ditto. Two opponents that we're going to be seeing pretty soon. Rams travel next week, October 1st, Sunday, to Dallas. Um, Maybe the biggest barometer of where this team's at. Uh, I think I'm going to get – obviously, as a team, we start turning in. Usually, just to let people know, the way it works is, you know, for a Sunday game, we spend Monday and Tuesday recapping what happened. Obviously, a Thursday game throws that off a bit. But then on Wednesday, we start going into preview mode. So, come Wednesday – we're all going to start turning our attention to Dallas and thinking about, okay, looking at the matchups, we're going to get injury reports from both sides. We're going to start getting some quotes from the team and, you know, where things are at and all that kind of stuff, and you start thinking about stuff. What, what do you think about this game, man? Is there one matchup that concerns you the most? Is there one player on the Cowboys that you're eager to see the Rams go up against? Or is there something you want to see the Rams do against the Cowboys, knowing it's probably the best opponent that we face? My thing that I'm going to be watching closely is the Cowboys linebackers versus Todd Gurley. Here's why. After the game on Thursday, Todd Gurley went up on stage with the Thursday night football crew, and he looked Michael Irvin in the eyes, and he said, we are he going to on your Cowboys. <laughs> he told him. <laughs> on, on national television. Now, I don't think that they took that too kindly, and I know that they all heard it. And furthermore, I'm pretty sure Michael Irvin immediately got off the set afterwards and made a call like, hey, they talking. <laughs> so, so it's going to be interesting to see how what type of game Todd Gurley has. Um, the last time, I will say this, though, the last time Todd Gurley made a prediction and said that the Rams will win, they won. <laughs> the last time he did that, they did. He said, we're going to win, and they won. So let's see if he can make it two for two. <laughs> but I, I get the feeling they're going to be out for him. I think they're going to be coming for Gurley hard, very hard. They're going to they're gonna make him remember every word. Now, the problem with that is um, if, you know, for, you know we're, you and I both have the, the game on mute right now with the Cowboys and Cardinals, and we just watched Carson Palmer just drive down the field take like eight minutes off the clock just dissecting this defense, this secondary. You know, the Cowboys secondary hasn't been the greatest so far this season. And, you know, so if they're locked in on Gurley too much and with Jared Goff playing the way he's playing, what does that mean for them? You know, so it's, I think that that's going to be a classic uh, watching how the defense, the Cowboys defense, how they react to certain things the offense is doing for the Rams. It's going to be one of those 
both teams are going to be, I think, are going to be on edge, making close to making some plays. You're going to see some some really close to big plays, and you're going to see a few few nice ones pop up here and there. But ultimately, overall, I do expect Jared Goff to continue the way he's playing. Um, I think that the Cowboys secondary has holes. Their linebackers are they have one of the best linebacker cores in the NFL. <laughs> that can't be denied, and that's why I say I'm, I'm interested in saying specifically the linebacker core against Gurley. But I do think ultimately that when you come down to the overall defense, I expect I expect Goff to continue to uh, continue to get off. What do you think? It. Uh, I don't want to focus on stuff that we worry about, but uh, you know the way that the defense played against the 49ers, I don't think that anybody's going to be feeling good taking them against a, a, you know an offense headlined by Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott. What I think is going to be yeah. interesting as a challenge is that I, I've said this for the last two years, the strength of Dallas's offense to me is the offensive line. That offensive line is stacked. Even even when they lost Doug Free and they plugged in, I forget his name, the new cat at left guard, uh, and they got Zach Martin on the right side between Travis Frederick, Lael Collins as the right tackle. They still got Tyron Smith. There's absolutely stacked up front. And we saw what happened when you get a good offensive line dealing with our rush defense in week two. Washington, they kept going down the running back depth chart. It didn't matter how deep they went down it. Every single one of those cats carved us up because the offensive line was just eating them. So, I mean, you're talking about Wade Phillips and switching things around and maybe if there's something new that he's got for this defense to work on, this is going to be a hell of a test because uh, if you look at the way we match up up front, I don't, I don't know how many better uh, offensive lines we're going to face than the Cowboys. Um, getting beyond week four, we get into division play, man. We got Seattle at home, then we head to Jacksonville, and then we head to London. So you got two home games, but only one of them's in L.A. That's the only game, and I mentioned this, uh, I think, when we left Washington – that's the only game in Los Angeles between now and November 11th. So there's not going to be a lot of home crowds for the Rams to lean into for a while. And then obviously after Arizona and London, we got the bye week. So we got these four games. I, I used to talk about old days at Tertial Times. I used to break the season kind of into four chapters. To me, it always seemed like there were natural divisions of chapters, depending on where your bye week was. Clearly our bye week is kind of in the middle of the season, right? It just bisects the game into a seven-game and a nine-game break. It feels like this was kind of the first chapter, right, that the first chapter was uh, you open the season against a Andrew Luckless Colts team that just isn't very good, and before they went to Jacoby Brissett with Scott Tolzien, they just couldn't do anything. And so we handled our business. It was at home. It was the rebirth of the Rams under Sean McVay. Great. You get a tough loss against Washington. Then you got to go to San Francisco and kind of excise the demons of the 0-28 loss to start off last year. They barely did it. <laughs> we talked about it, but they got it done, right? The bottom, the bottom line is they got the win. They're sitting two and one, and they've got some optimism riding high into the season. This second chapter might, is, when we come back and look at this in January, this might be the most interesting chapter of the season, this four-game run of heading to Dallas, coming back home for Seattle, and then away to Jacksonville and then taking on the Cardinals in London. What do you, what do you think? Is there a game that of the four – that you're most interested in, or, or, is, or do you have any thoughts on the second chapter as we get ready to start the next four games? Yeah, the game that I am most interested in over these next four is actually what we talked about earlier, the Jaguars game. Blake Bortles. Um, Blake Bortles. That Jaguars defense, it started in week one, watching that defense. They are ridiculously fast. Um, they've drafted really well. They've made a few key additions through free agency, but most of their defense is drafted. 
and they are fast. First off, their linebacker core might be the fastest linebacker core I've ever seen. <laughs> they, they can move, fly. man. Miles, they Jack, Miles Jack, dude. Miles Jack, Miles Jack is dead. Miles Jack and Telvin Smith, you know, they – they fly with their Paul Pufflesley work in the middle. That yeah. They can flat out move, <laughs> and they tackle very well, and they hit very hard. You know, and then you look at the 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 the, the defensive line. Man, those guys are ferocious. They get after you. It's like they're always in the backfield, <laughs> whether it's pass or run. They're back there. They're clogging up lanes. They are. They're they're a vicious front seven. And then you look at the secondary. They have the premier quarterback duo so far in the NFL. They have complete what they did to Joe Flacco and Jeremy Macklin and those boys. I mean, at one point, Joe Flacco was zero for thirteen or something like that. <laughs> I mean, let's let's soak that in for a second. Joe Flacco, he's not the uh, best quarterback in the world, but he's not a bum. You know, he he's been around long enough, and he's a, a savvy vet. You're telling me that he couldn't complete anything, <laughs> nothing at all. Like they really, they really did a good job of just kind of being up in their face, and they've done that so far through all, all the first three weeks. Um, that duo of Jalen Ramsey and uh, uh, AJ Abouye, it's uh, it's impressive. <laughs> it's, it's very, very impressive. They are locking guys up, and then again, you throw into the fact that they're so so ferocious in the box. You know, forcing, putting so much pressure, forcing quarterbacks to throw the ball. They're getting their hands on balls. Watching that defense go up against what, right so far, has been the most explosive offense in the NFL. You know, if these two teams continue on this trend, the defense continues to be as good as they are in Jacksonville, and the Rams' offense continues to be as good as they've been. Watching them come together in um, uh, what two weeks, three two weeks, or three weeks. Watching them come together for. For a showdown, it's gonna be it's gonna be a classic offense versus defense. I can't wait for that one. It's the old it's the old what is it the immovable object against the unstoppable force. What, what what's interesting Absolutely. is we talked about Dallas and you talked about Jacksonville. The two games we didn't talk about are Seattle and Arizona, and I, I think that for good reason. <laughs> it's a what, what it kind of tells right? you well, and that's what I, you know one of the things where I say that the Rams aren't really in win now mode. You can see this window in the NFC West starting to open, and I, I don't, I don't know if 2017 is the year, but you got to feel really good about the idea that Carson Palmer's career is coming to an end. That Seattle's offensive line looks like it is, is not going to allow them to run any kind of functional offense this year. Where if you're looking at the trajectories of the different teams, you got to even if it's not for this season, you got to feel really good about where the Rams are headed in this division overall. Absolutely. The the Rams are sitting very pretty right now. Um, the Whether the Cardinals win or lose tonight, the Rams are undisputed leading the division because the Cardinals haven't played a divisional game. The Rams have and they won. Um, the, C, the, 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 the Seahawks, they are starting really, really slow. And I think it's a bit of a surprise for most people because they haven't really lost much, you know, um, They've still got the same core on offense and defense that they've had for the last several years that during their times of greatness. Uh, so it's a, it's a bit of a shock to see them starting off as slow as they have been. Um, the offensive line is actually regressed. <laughs> I didn't know it could get much worse than what it has been in recent years, but they've still figured out ways to make it work with bad offensive line. 
but you're just not seeing that this year. Um, however, you know, Russell Wilson did come out guns blazing, had a hell of a game to throw that many passes. I think he threw 49 attempts and no interceptions is impressive. Any type of quarterback can throw 50 pass attempts and he doesn't th- turn the ball over, you got to tip your hat to him. But uh, then you look at the um, the Cardinals and, you know, Larry Fitzgerald, for the first time in my life, I never thought I'd see the day. He just doesn't look like very Larry Fitzgerald. It looks like Father Time is starting to catch up to him. Uh, no matter how much they force him to ball, they throw him the ball a lot through the first three games. He hasn't converted on all of those attempts, but he also, even when he has converted, it hasn't been much to, you know, brag about. You know, he I mean, he's not really averaging a crazy amount per catch or anything like that. So it's like um, you're starting to see him become mortal <laughs> for the first time in his career. And then, of course, you know, the 49ers, while they did give the Rams a run for their money, the 49ers are going to finish the season as w- probably one of the worst three teams in football. They're probably going to have a top three pick, essentially. So it's uh it's really setting up nice for the Rams. I think they have an opportunity to to actually do something. I mean it's it's exciting because you haven't had you haven't been able to say that about them in so long. But then also it's like be cautious. <laughs> yep. You know yep. it's still early. <laughs> we'll see as the division starts taking shape in October where we go. Speaking of shaping, we we got shaped by the fans, man. They uh they wanted to hear us structure yeah. some things around them. We got some listener questions. What we got? Yeah, we do, and uh, they 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 really came with it after the the um, the game with the Forty Niners. There was a, there was a lot of people like, "Hey, what what in the world is going on here?" Uh, the most common questions that uh, I've seen come up so far has been in regards to the uh, the defense. There's a lot of mm-hmm. questions about the defense. Um, so so before we get to that, you know, we're we're gonna uh, go to Tom Gare. Who started off with? Since everyone's gonna ask the same question, <laughs> he kind of he kind of saw it coming. Uh, he's one of the first people to get a comment to get a question out there. He says, uh, "Since everyone's gonna ask the same questions, what are your predictions for the draft?" Which we talked about a little bit uh, last week. Hmm. Uh, what position do we target on day one and two? Well, that's interesting. Go ahead, Joe. <laughs> no, no, no. What are you gonna say? You, you you clearly wanted to get something off your chest. Well, no, 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 no. All I was going to say is, you know, as far as day two goes, it's going to be a long day two because we don't have a second-round pick, so we're going to be waiting for the third. So that's it. But, yeah, go ahead. It's all yours. Well, I just think what's interesting is we're we're talking about a draft in week three with roster needs. I think we got to get a lot more football to figure out roster needs. The, the, the thing that's going to make it tough is, and this is part of the reason why if you look at people talking about which teams have the most cap space, the Rams are involved as one of the teams with the most money to spend next year. we got a ton of guys coming up on expiring deals. Uh, Trumaine Johnson, Sammy Watkins, Connor Barwin, Alec Ogletree, Dominique Easley, Ethan Westbrooks, Lance Dunbar, Cody Davis, LaMarcus Joyner, Derek Carrier, John Sullivan, Nikel Roby Coleman, Tyron Walker, Maurice Alexander, Matt Longacre, Troy Hill, all come up on expiring deals. And there's just there's no way to talk about assigning roster needs priorities without knowing which one of those which of those guys are going to be back, right? If we lose Sammy Watkins, the need for a number one wide receiver, I, I could see how that would be our number one need. But if we re-sign him, 
it, it, it's complete, the wide receiver goes completely off the board, right? So it's one of those yep. things where without knowing that, I, I just have no idea. We talk about cornerback with, you know, Trumaine Johnson and Nikel Roby Coleman. If both of those guys are gone, you could you could you could make the case that cornerback is the top need. If we re- if we sign Trumaine Johnson, I know his comments in training camp were that he feels this is his last year. But if we end up finding a way to make a deal with him, you can probably make cornerback a day two, day three kind of thing. Um, it ju- it just depends on what happens with a lot of those roster needs. I think the good the good thing is whether you talk about Jared Goff, Sammy Watkins, Andrew Whitworth, Aaron Donald. A lot of your premium positions right now are being filled by guys who are performing very well. Those are the kind of things where you, you know, quarterback, left tackle, top wide receiver, top defensive lineman, or even pass rush. You're looking at your round one pick and saying, okay, I need to spend this on this guy because we're just not good enough at these premium positions. Right now, the Rams are looking pretty good at all of those, and so it maybe gives you some flexibility. And I know we taught you talked about not having a second round pick, but you mentioned this before. Les Need likes the deal. He's a yep. he's a used car salesman. Come on, baby, let's make a deal. So it's one of those I'll things where right it. now, yeah, where I could I could totally see the Rams moving back in the first round, picking up a second rounder, maybe making some things. Happen. I mean, it all depends on who what, what our personnel looks like when free agency opens. And I mentioned this. I think oh, it was after the game. I either did it on Facebook Live. I even did an Instagram Live this week where it's one of those things I, I almost want to hold off talking about roster needs until March because until we get yeah. to that point and we know what these deals look like, it's almost impossible to really put together something that we're going to look back in April and say, okay, yeah, this makes sense. You know, and I, I'm just I'm going to, – all I'm going to say is I 100% agree with you. Um, and the reason being is just we have so many contracts that are going to be ending after this season – for we don't starters, know who's going to get re- who's going to get resigned and who's not. You know, if it was less, you know, if it was way less contracts, you know, then I would be able to say, okay, you know, I'm a little more comfortable saying because we have, you know, only quarterback and D tackles that we need to look at. You know, I would say, well, one of those two positions we probably need to look at during in the draft. You know, but because there's so many, the whole defense is probably going to be different next year. Uh, because there's so many, I have to I have to wait myself and see who we resign, you know, which way we decide to go. So until then, it's, it's too hard to answer. And I know we talked about it like two weeks ago. So next question, uh, Dakota Johnson. I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed reading his questions because he he let it rip, and it, it was it, I felt like it was almost like this was your um, your 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 doppelganger or something, <laughs> your spirit animal, Joe. I feel like Dakota Johnson is your spirit animal because that's who that that's who he reminded me of with these questions. Here's what he had. He, he sounds said, like he's not happy. Are, Let's hear it. <laughs> <laughs> why are Ogletree, Bo Alexander, Quinn uh, struggling so hard for this Phillips 3-4? How does Troy Hill still have a job? Do you think Tavon mm-hmm. is out the door after this after this game? He didn't say this season. <laughs> this game. Is Tavon out the door after this game? Trading block, baby. And is golf playing this well a fallacy or actually real? Well, I'm gonna put your, number one to you, that's man. That's your spirit animal. I don't know what he is. <laughs> <laughs> I like it, man. He's passionate. I like it. Let me put number one to you. What Ogletree, Maurice Alexander, and who do you say, Robert Quinn? Yep. Why are they struggling with so much 3-4? What, 
what, what do you think? Is there anything you've picked up on that, that, that explains it, that okay. can distill it down to something? I will, I will say this. I will say this. I mean, it, it's no secret, Joe, you know this, that I, I, uh, I have quite a few friends that's with the Rams, <laughs> and uh, I have heard through the grapevine, Mo Alexander is not a fan of the coverages. <laughs> he's not a fan of the cover four. He's not a he's not a fan of the strictly men. Those two things are not his favorite. So that to me is just he's not bought in. Uh, he's not bought in as far as uh, Mo Alexander. As for Ogletree, uh, we can play a three four. I know I talked about this um, a couple months ago, actually, uh, around draft time. We were talking about you know picking up a linebacker because I said then I don't think that the backers we have are good fits for this three four. Uh, when you play a 3-4, what you do is you change gap responsibility um, because you don't usually have as many people hands in the dirt. Um, so by moving Rob, excuse me, not Robert Quinn, but moving Michael Brockers over to, to cover the uh, center and play a true nose position, and when he's not, he's playing the, he's playing the, uh, the one tech, you are basically giving a free reign to the guards to get to your uh, backer. That's what you're doing. You're opening up and you're allowing them to run freely and get up there. So when you run this type of system, you have to have a uh, a linebacker that can get free and get downhill and get off of the blocks. That's not mm-hmm. something that Ogletree is good at. He struggles big time to get off of the blocks, and considering the fact that they are rolling freely, coming directly at him, he's struggling. Mm-hmm. Him, he and he and Mark Barrett are both struggling because of that. And then you all. Then uh, as far as Robert Quinn goes, I don't necessarily think he's struggling. I just don't think he's getting enough snaps. Uh, the snaps that he's had, he's you know he's flashed pass rush ability. Uh, he's got one and a half sacks through three games. Um, it's I don't think that he's necessarily struggling. They're just they're really holding him back, and I don't know if he's recovering from something that's undisclosed or whatever it is, but. He is definitely being held back more than what I think anyone expected. He's not playing that many snaps. I think you mentioned it earlier. He's only playing about half of the defensive snaps, if that. Uh, the first game, uh, not the first game, but the game against the Redskins, you know, he didn't play that many snaps at all. So uh, they, they're really holding him back. I'm not sure if they're trying to preserve him for later in the season, you know, with the hopes of a playoff push and getting all their players on the field healthy or whatever it is. But. He's just not playing that much. Uh, what do you, what do you have as a response for uh, how does Troy Hill still have a job? No, well, I, one thing that I think I, I guess part of what Troy Hill, you know, earned was in the preseason he earned the right to that backup spot. And I said it when we did our fifty-three man projections that clearly the the staff and even the previous staff saw value in him on the outside and we maybe can be disappointed at the performances, but there's no question that there's something about his game that's valued across two different coaching staffs at this point. Troy Hill was suspended for two games. It would have been very easy for them to move on from him. Uh, But clearly between Kevin Peterson, Blake Countess and everyone else in the depth, they just weren't uh, that interested in looking beyond Troy Hill. One thing I would say between Troy Hill, not necessarily Troy Hill, but you know, when you talk about Mo Alexander, uh, Robert Quinn, um, who did, uh, Alec Ogletree. You can throw in yeah. Mark Barron. You can throw in a bunch of other guys. One of the things that I think has been really interesting, and we talked about the offense suddenly turning on a light, has been the relatively quick degradation of the idea of the elite Rams defense. 
you go back to the 2015 yeah. preseason, Andy Benoit at MMQB wrote a piece saying, essentially, move over Seattle Seahawks. The Rams are going to have the best defense in the NFL. This was before the 2015 season. We ended that year 23rd in yards allowed. You can't do that and be called anywhere near the best defense in the NFL. That was 2015. Last year, 2016, 23rd in points allowed and 0 to 28 to start the year and all kinds of different performances in between. It clearly wasn't an, you know, a top defense or an elite defense or anything like that, right? And so now we're into this season three games and everybody's freaking out. I mean, you talked about it. This defense is nowhere near second overall like football outsiders projected. There's something weird about how between Andy Benoit, between football outsiders, between us as Rams fans with all of our feelings towards this defense, they seem to have constantly performed below – I guess you'd say expectations, and I, I, I don't know what to say about that other than the, the expectations probably just need to come down. And, you know, I, I, granted, we talked about the football outsiders thing. I never really bought into that in the first place, but I did buy into this idea. They had us ranked 15th last year, and I bought into the idea that they would improve from 15th to whatever. And it's not just not that they haven't improved, it's how far back they've fallen. I just think as a whole, when, when it comes to the guys beyond Troy Hill, obviously, he's not the reason that the Rams are not where they need to be. But it's one of those things that I find fascinating, given how highly we all thought of the Rams' defense the last couple of years and how annually they've come in below the bar. Yeah, what were, what were the I other mean, two questions? We had, we had two final questions with that one. Oh, so the other one is um, Tavon Austin. There was one on Tavon Austin. Is Tavon out the door after this game? And is <sighs> golf playing this well? Fallacy or actually real? So the, the Tavon thing, the part that makes it hard about talking about a trade, obviously, is his contract. You get Tavon. Yeah, Tavon's being one of the highest paid wide receivers in the NFL. Why would anybody get? And he, you got to you got to understand leverage. If if Tavon is so bad that we don't even want him. That means we're going to cut him. And if we cut him next year and you're a team that wants him, you can have him next year at a, what, 70% discount? If, if, right. if the Rams release Tavon Austin, he's not getting paid what his contract has him at right now. You can sign him for way, way less. So you might as well wait. The only, only reason somebody would trade for Tavon Austin is if they're so desperate to make something happen this year and they think Tavon Austin can do it. The problem is if you're a GM and you make that move and it doesn't work out, you deserve to get fired that this year. If, you, if you're a GM that trades for Tavon Austin to help you make the playoffs or make a longer playoff run, and Tavon Austin looks anywhere near what he looks like with the Rams, you deserve to get fired immediately. And I, I don't know that they're going to be able to find anybody that's willing, any GM and any scouting, uh, any front office staff that's willing to stick their, stick their necks out, their professional necks out for Tavon Austin, given what he's done in his NFL career. But who knows? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I, we'll have to see, man. But it's one of those things where he's been in the league long enough that I think he's established enough tape of what he can do. And there's a reason why Rams fans are asking questions like this, and it just doesn't help the leverage. The bigger thing is Jared Goff becoming the guy he is. What's your, what's your feeling? Is this – I mean, it's been three games, and it's the best three-game stretch of his career. I would say it's kind of a mixture of both. Um, it's definitely got to do with the system. There's no denying that. Um, mm-hmm. But what's the number one thing I've been saying all off season? I have never in my life seen a team use this 
formula and fail, the formula where you have a top quarterback as your draft pick, right, and then you go out and you get an offensive-minded coach, you get an off, not just any offensive staff to support that offensive-minded coach, but an offensive staff with a lot of history, a lot of history, you know, and you, you look at the like you look at the Greg Osis, for example. That's a great sure. guy to have in the sure. room with him, <laughs> you know. And Matt Lafleur, he's 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 worked with some really good offensive. Worked bodies. with McVeigh and Washington, you, exactly. So you have the you have this uh, the staff around him. Then you go out and you make these draft picks. You go out, you sign the free agents, you build the offensive line. I've never seen someone use the formula where you have a young, high draft pick of a quarterback. I've never seen someone use the formula where you built the offense, where you built the coaching staff, and you built the offensive line. You put everything around him, and the focus is on him and fail. I've never seen it. Everyone that's ever done it let me twist, succeeded. Let me twist that question just a little bit. Is, is what we've seen from Jared Goff in the offense a product of the quality of the Rams' offense? or a product of the quality of the opposing defense? Because a lot, of, a lot of people are saying, and it, we hear this all the time at the college level, y'all ain't played nobody, right? So that when, right. you know, a college team starts out 3-0 and and they've beaten Chattanooga, uh, Louisiana Monroe, and somebody – and apologies for our Chattanooga and Louisiana Monroe listeners. I didn't mean to call you out like that, but you see what I'm saying. You start the you season out and you ain't played nobody. That's a common refrain we hear at that level. Do you think that's maybe a valid criticism – to maybe draw back uh, a little bit of the expectations from the Rams offense and the improvement we've seen from golf is that maybe we haven't played uh, any of the better defenses in the NFL to this point. Did I lose you, Mason? Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah now I hear you. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's a valid point, uh, but – I think because of the defenses that have been played, there's a range of them. Uh, we see different, different. The the coast just sucked all around. But then you know you had a a decent pass rush in Washington. You know where they able to put some pressure on him more frequently, but he still responded quite well. And then in in against the uh, Redskins, it wasn't so much a pass rush as it was just the way that the uh, linebackers were flying around making tackles, and they really took away that intermediate part of the field. You know, so you saw – well, I think ultimately what we actually got to see over the first three games, it wasn't necessarily this was a result of bad defenses, so much of it being a result of good adjustments to when you have those issues. And then also uh, Jared Goff being able to make things change on the fly, which is – which is, uh, I guess, kind of the more positive way to look at it. But um, right. that's that's really what, that's what's happened so far is that defenses have come at him in different ways. They come at him with a pass rush. They come at him with it. The thing that the Rams were doing the most was intermediate attacks. They were attacking the intermediate part of the field nonstop. And then when they took that away, you see them switch it up. They started pushing the ball downfield more, and uh, they weren't just pushing it downfield, but then they were also taking the underneath stuff to Todd Gurley and things like that. So the adjustments and then the ability for Jerry Goff to make those adjustments on the fly, I think those things really showed. Good stuff, Dakota Johnson. Thank you, homie. Thank you, homie. Absolutely. So let's uh, let's get one more before we get over here to the uh, to college and then get out of here. So did Aaron Donald mess up the D's first game chemistry? <laughs> so, that's a valid question. <laughs> 
did Aaron uh, did, did Aaron Donald mess up the first uh, the D, mess up the D's first game chemistry? What do you think? I don't. I, it's hard to it's hard to buy into that because so many of the members of the front seven are the same that we've seen. You know, the the defensive line options besides Tyron Rock or Tinsel Smart are the same. So you still got Morgan Fox, Ethan Westbrook, Michael Brockers all in the front. The guys behind them are almost all the same outside of Connor Barwin. You look at the rest of the team, the rest of the team has had way more turnover than you've dealt with in the front seven for the Rams. Um, so I, I don't know that these aren't guys that don't know how to play around and off of Aaron Donald. I think, if anything, what he's messed up is being how damn good he is, right? And, and that, that without training camp in the preseason, he just wasn't – he didn't have his football legs and, and wasn't – himself right and all the little things you right. do, the the bending and the quickness and the hand place all that stuff that he just probably needs hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of reps to get up to speed for he didn't have and he was working out and staying in shape that's not the issue and I made a joke about it years ago when Janoris Jenkins posted a picture of him in a gym with his friends is there's a difference between hood strength and football strength you need football strength not hood not Instagram strength not Instagram fitness you need football fitness and I think this may be one of those things that Aaron Donald, because he's so good, maybe we, we understate his impact, and he's just not having that impact yet. And it's not necessarily messing up the rest of the defense, is that we we can rely on him to such a degree usually that we can't right now. And until he gets there, maybe that's one of those issues that uh, is going to correct itself, but there's no other way to get around it except the weight. I think the, big, the bigger issue is never going to be Aaron Donald. It's going to be the other guys uh, on the defense and kind of what uh, that first question from Dakota talked about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one person responded to that question, and that question there actually came from um, Scott Young. And uh, Dodge Cave had this response. <laughs> he said, not playing the coat is what messed it up. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, man. <laughs> So that I thought that was a pretty good response to his question, uh, and I think it's a pretty fair one, fair one, one hundred percent. But not playing the coast definitely changes things. But then also you do whenever you have a different body in there, you do have to make certain adjustments, especially when you have someone as special as Aaron Donald, because he's not just doing the things that his the guys who were in there for him, Tyron Walker, what he was doing was pretty much standard. When Aaron Donald's in there, he's kind of all over the place now. So it does change things. You're running a different, a bit of a different scheme yep. by having him in there. So it does change things. But then also, it, it like Dodd said, it, it's not probably the biggest thing. So let's move and on. Shout, to, out, uh, shout out to those Colts, man. I was going to say, shout out to those Colts. They got the win against Cleveland. A lot, you know, a lot of people pointed this. I think my, I had a one-word preview for this game in the live thread. My entire preview was no. I was not taking any time to analyze Browns Colts before the game. They got that win. I will say this, man. Jacoby Brissett looked pretty interesting in his second game, and I know there's rumor that Andrew Luck might be involved finally this week. I would say this. They take in on the Seahawks in prime time. We're all going to be watching because it's on prime time, national televised game. I think we're all going to be rooting for the Colts this week. So we, we, can, we can make fun of the Colts all we want. But come Sunday night, is it Sunday or Monday? I think it's a Sunday night game. Come Sunday Absolutely. night, I think uh, Rams fans and Colts fans will be on, will be one big yeah, gonna unite. one big anti-Seattle yeah, family. Going to unite 100%. <laughs> so what do we got for college? Ooh, what a weekend, man. Hey, 
where to start. I th- you know, one of the things that I think has been interesting is how quickly we got into this middle of the schedule where you lose a lot of the great um, – and especially because now in the modern age, the early scheduling is so packed that you start to lose that, and you get a week like this where college game day decides to go to New York because why not? There's no great games that we need to be present for. You got – you know, Alabama playing Vanderbilt, OU playing Baylor, which was a, a much, much closer game than it needed to be. USC playing Cal, Washington, Colorado. You, you don't have any ranked-on-ranked matchups outside of, you know, Mississippi State, Georgia, and, and nobody predicted that that was going to be anywhere near the game that it was hyped up to be before the season. Of course, when you get a final score of 31-3, to it leaves you just saying, yeah, this was not the week for anybody to get excited but I think from a draft perspective, a lot of times, that's where when we get to next April, next March, next February, we look back at some of these performances and could say, okay, here's a guy that, you know, I really like for the Rams because of what he did in this otherwise uh, unspectacular game. And, and there just wasn't a lot. You know, you had TCU-Oklahoma State. That was clearly a big game because it's 16 against 6, and TCU pulls off the upset. And we've talked about Oklahoma State's offense. They were not the problem. Right. Mason Rudolph threw for almost 400 yards, scored 30. But they did the opposite of the Rams. Rams scored 41, right. almost lose. Oklahoma State threw 30, put up 31. James Washington had 153 receiving yards. They did lose. Um, and Justin but it's Hill one of those things where we had over 100 yards yeah. yet again. Yeah, so yeah. the offense was good. <laughs> it's one of those things where I, I don't know that there's anything I took back from this week, but moving forward, I feel much more interested in Georgia, much more interested in in TCU, and much more interested in the Pac-12 overall. I mean, USC hasn't looked as dominant as a lot of people thought, and I think there's a door open there that starting next week, they play Friday night against Washington State, 16th in the country, and the USC's got to go up to Pullman. That I, I don't know. I don't know really what I'm taking from the Pac-12, except that maybe it's going to be a little bit more fun than I was prepared to have it this year. Yeah, you know, I would agree. The Pac-12 is a uh, it's it's a bit of a disappointment because you know I think everyone kind of like you said was expecting USC to really take off. Uh, right now, right. though, the way it's looking, it's looking like the team to beat the Pac-12 is Washington, not USC. Washington has been the most right. consistent um, by far. Uh, it's, I think that I think Washington is probably the team to beat. Uh, I think seeing a Washington USC game might be a very good game, but I'm not really impressed with the the Pac-12. The game that I'm really now looking forward to since TCU did beat Oklahoma State is TCU versus Oklahoma. Uh, I think that will yeah. probably be a good match. TCU seems to look like they are back to what they were a couple years ago. Uh, before they lost that team that was so phenomenal, that team that uh, almost went undefeated. They're back to kind of uh, really being able to put up points, but then defense also making key plays. Um, Mason Rudolph had a great game, but then they also were able to get those two interceptions that you just don't see that often with him. <laughs> TCU, the TCU right. was able to pull it off, you know. Um, and then running the ball, they were running it all over him. I think, I think Anderson had 160 yards or something like that. Um, but he had three touchdowns. It was just it was just a good game just overall um, from TCU that they played. And then, of course, they also uh, – um, uh, Oklahoma State, they also being able to stick with them, you know, it wasn't just they put up uh, 44 points and blew Oklahoma State out, but like you said, they put up 31 sure. points. So it forced, it forced them to show that offense for a longer period than what you normally would see when, a, when the – 
uh, team puts up 44 in college, usually the other team has 10. <laughs> you know, so by keeping the starters out there, you really got to see how good they really were. And with Oklahoma barely pulling off the win against Baylor, I'm very that interested to see what is, this, what is this game going to be like, TCU-Oklahoma. That's definitely one to keep, uh, keep an eye on. But then also Washington and USC in the future. Uh, that would be a good matchup. But what do you think about the Penn State-Iowa game? Saquon Barkley. That, that, I watched that game. It's Saquon Barkley. He's bad. Saquon Barkley. He is a uh, – he, he's, he's, he's having a hell of a season, isn't he? <laughs> I, wa- I, wa- I was watching that game live with my wife. And we caught that just the fourth quarter she came in. She usually doesn't watch as much. She doesn't watch football. As much football as I want watch, I think I've turned her off of the sport. She came in for the fourth quarter, and she's like, well, who's on? I was like, Penn State, Iowa. She's like, is anybody good? I'm like, yeah, this running back for Penn State is incredible. Literally two plays later was the highlight one where he hurdled that guy. And, of course, the, the thing was, yeah, it was it was phenomenal. But the thing was, I just walked out of the room, and I was I was like, uh, I was disgusted, not just at how good he is, but how, like, perfect. When I was like, yeah, this guy's incredible, and then he does something incredible, and you just walk away like, damn, this guy's like, I'm almost disgusted at how good he is. The, the, the thing that makes it interesting, and I think we just got to wait and see, when you got Todd Gurley, Leonard Fournette, Christian McCaffrey, uh, you know, even uh, Melvin Gordon, um, I think we got to you got to normalize the value of running backs for teams that want to go in on a, you know, a workhorse running back atop your depth chart versus teams that are still going committee or even just a light committee right. with a leader because Saquon Barkley is probably going to require – I would say this. I would be shocked if somebody doesn't spend a top ten pick on him based on the way top ten picks have been spent on running backs the last two, three years. I'm totally against it, but teams continue to do it. And if the teams that – have gone in on those guys are getting value. I don't see how Saquon Barkley isn't going to be there in the mix too. And something else to take into consideration, really quick, is that the fact that Saquon Barkley is if Jeff Fisher gets hired. Actually, if Jeff Fisher gets hired, Saquon Barkley is going top ten. Yes, he's absolutely. number one overall. But uh, Saquon <laughs> Barkley actually, he actually might be the most most athletic and physically gifted of all the running backs that you just named, as far as just. Yeah. Speed, agility, he's more agile than all of the backs that you just named. Him and um, Christian McCaffrey. Speed, they, I mean, yeah, but Saquon's on a different level. Yeah, Saquon's like Christian McCaffrey. He has the same type of agility as Barkley, but then you look at the power, Christian McCaffrey doesn't have that. He has that Tiger mm-hmm. letter for that type power, but then he also has that agility. But then the straight line speed, you know, they're saying that he runs into four threes. It's like, Jesus, dude's just a his freak. Game speed, <laughs> dog, his game speed is one of those where, uh, where he's running away from guys, and I, I, don't, I don't know if it's as impressive to other people. I don't get how he has that kind of speed for his frame and given the other traits that he exactly. has. The third gear that he has is nuts. He might be the most physically gifted of all the backs you just made for the past three years. I would say Saquon Barkley is the most physically gifted. And then you added the fact that he just had 12 receptions, so he clearly can receive the ball. I mean, the guy had 40 touches in one game. If that's not a workhorse, I don't know what it is. 40 touches turned into 300 yards. Wow. <laughs> yeah. What else in the game? You mentioned Pac-12. I just want to mention, you know, Pac-12, former home of which cornerback? Troy Hill. Yep. Oh, you were supposed to boo. That was supposed to be the boo. I was trying to say, you know, I got it in. It was it was a moment of sadness, and then the boo came. 
moment of sadness, uh, two, I mean, you talked about OU Baylor. That one was close. But two games that clearly came up sad, Georgia against Mississippi State. Mississippi State coming off that big game at LSU. Lost 31-3 yeah. at Georgia. Absolute pasting. And then North Carolina State, Florida State. Obviously, Florida State had already lost to Alabama, but a lot of people figured they would climb up the ACC and get back into the late season. They, they yeah. had a couple easy games, obviously, in this interim where they were supposed to climb up. And then the end of their schedule when they got Clemson uh, and Florida coming late in the season, they thought those would be the big games. Uh, they lost to North Carolina think, State, and then probably ends their DeAndre I think the, losing DeAndre Francois lost. Might have made a difference. Yeah, Might have made a difference. And it, it's going to be interesting. Now that they've lost this game, the thing you worry about is a tailspin, right? Yeah, you, if you're well, Florida State, already, even they've that, already gone unranked. They're not ranked sure. for the first time, I think, since 2011. So this is the first time we see the rankings come out and Florida State not be in them since 2011. And so that's what's going to be interesting is when I say tailspin is if it gets worse. I mean, you got Miami yeah. coming up, uh, and that that could be a difficult game. You got Louisville coming up. That obviously could be. I mean, I know Louisville just dropped, but they still got Lamar Jackson. You could see a serious tailspin for Florida State in a way that we haven't seen. And I just wonder when we start talking about all the guys on the, that defense, they're all coming to the NFL. That defense is incredibly oh, yeah. stacked. Whatever is going on with Florida State, and it may just be as simple as DeAndre Francois, but you, you, they went into the season thinking, you know, playoffs, one of the best teams right. in the country. If they get two, three losses before we even get to November, how they respond, what, what, how much effort and how much commitment are you going to get from a guy? Some of these guys are already sniffing the NFL. How much commitment are you going to get from them on a two, three loss team in October and November will be something very interesting that I'll be watching because, because so many of those guys, they already got one foot in the league. Absolutely. I mean, I think when you talk about sticking with it, I think a guy like Derwin James will, because that's kind of his, that's his repertoire, you know. That that's in his repertoire. That's that's what people know him for is his love for the game, his leadership. But can he really get everyone to buy in? <laughs> you know, um, if he does, that would only help his draft stock. <laughs> you know, because of, wow, this guy's a great leader. But I don't think they have that guy. I think the, the last time they had a guy like that was James Weston that could get you to buy into anything. Um, one player isn't going to be enough to hold it all together and. Like you said, a tailspin, it, it, it looks very possible. Losing DeAndre Francois absolutely killed the morale of that team, and it's obvious. You can see it when it happened. You can see it in this past game. They're not the same team. Some big games this week. we got USC-Washington State on Friday. you got uh, Georgia-Tennessee. That'll be 3.30 Eastern time, 12.30 Cali time on Saturday. Wake Forest against Florida State at Wake. That might be the game to go. This is going to be on national TV to go ahead and check out. Not a ton in the late action outside of the big one, Clemson, Virginia Tech. That'll be a good one to watch. We're coming up on time, man. You got I can kick you about 15 seconds for final thoughts. Final thoughts, look, very simple. We are moving forward to week four already. Man, this, we, we, we're already in one month in. Like, it's crazy how fast we're going there. But we're going to go to week four. We're going against Cowboys. Cowboys, 12 o'clock. Um, what is that? Central time, 12 o'clock Central time. Uh, one o'clock Eastern. Everybody, this is—I think this is going to be the game where we really get to see how good this team can be because they're—they're going to. I think it's going to be a bit, a bit of a shootout. 
You got a defense that's struggling. They're going against a, a Dak Prescott, Zeke offense with a Dez Bryant, which that's the matchup I'm looking forward to is Dez Bryant and Tremaine Johnson. I think that's going to be a good one. So we are – I'm, I'm fully, 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 fully invested in this game. I will be uh, watching it before I go coach a game. <laughs> So I'm definitely going to be uh, tuning in as much as I can. But uh, it's going to be one of those I'll probably go back and rewind a couple times. You got anything before we get out of here? That's it, man. We'll see you all next week. All right. It's so hot outside. Time to go bowling. Stay cool at Bolero. With air-conditioned lanes, ice-cold beer, and a striking selection of signature cocktails. Roll in, chill out, and have fun. Visit Bolero.com for hours and weekly specials. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech, why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.